Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today we have an awesome show in store for you. We got a couple guys local to Columbus. Yep. And uh, that is Zach Bethel and Justin Booth of the Creek Kings. Guys, thanks for hopping on the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah, of Jinx. course. <laughs> Jinx. Yep. We have, uh, we've got D-Rock over here too. Everybody knows him. Thanks D-Rock. for having me on, Jake. I appreciate it. I love having it's you It's always on. a pleasure. Yep. You're, you're always uh, fun to have on the show. But yeah, we had these guys come over to the studio and I really wanted to pick their brain. I've been watching their YouTube, Creek Kings YouTube for a few years and man, it's just awesome. They are great storytellers, very inspiring, and they're chasing some giant deer in the state of Ohio. So if you guys haven't seen that, go check that out. And I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised by their films. They're they're very highly produced and they do a great job. But today, the reason that I had you guys on the show is you're really big into hunting urban bucks and you're hunting giant urban bucks. And I really want to just take a deep dive down that rabbit hole of what you guys are doing to put yourself in position and chase these things around. It seems like you have tons of encounters and I know that there's a ton that goes into it. So let's jump right into it. Uh, uh, you know, we're right now sub 60 days out of season, getting real close to that point. So right now, what are you guys doing to try to just locate a target buck? Sure. Well, thanks for the introduction. I definitely appreciate it. So the question is, how do we get on these bigger deer in ur- urban areas? I'll be honest with you. In urban areas, there's not going to be a lot of ag. And it kind of just depends on where you're at. But for us in Ohio, like if there's not a lot of ag, but there is like a couple fields, like start there. Something that we learned a few years ago that has really upped our game and just being able to find deer in the summer is just glassing bean fields, glassing food sources. Um, you know, in urban areas, if there is no, you know, ag, if you live in like a legit city like Columbus, there are giant deer there. You know, last year there was a 240 inch deer that was killed there. Um, you know, we knew exactly where it was. You know, a deer that big, you know, is, is a legend and people like to talk about it. So step one is just listen to people, listen to other people talking. Like, if you're in the hunting industry and like people know you, like they know us kind of, you know, they'll always talk. You just have to let them talk. That's going to give you a lot of insight. Like we got a lot of our leads from people that we just know that know that we hunt. And they're like, Hey dude, I was driving by, or I was like working this job and I saw this giant deer in this field. And then they'll just, you know, they'll give us a lead and we check it out. It's not always successful, but follow, following leads in glass and bean fields for sure. The biggest thing is letting people talk because people don't think of urban areas really as good spots to hunt. They just see a deer in a work site and they're like, oh, I just saw this big deer. And then for us, it just turns into a, a mission of what you can do, what's around there. Is it legal to hunt there is usually the first step to figure out. But after that, it's just the game begins. So let me ask you this, from a legality standpoint, what are you doing to verify that it's actually huntable or not? ODNR game laws, a lot of them are vague, but usually if we're in doubt, we usually just end up calling ODNR and asking about the city or the area. Especially in urban areas, there's a lot of rules. Even if it is legal to hunt and you jump through all those hoops, that's the least of my worries. That's the least of our worries. Our biggest worries are like, you have to worry about the neighbors and you have to worry about the people who are in the neighborhood who might not want you to be hunting there because there's going to be at least one on a street of 24 houses. There's going to be at least one person whose life mission, if they find out you're hunting, is to ruin that experience for you. And we don't know why that is. That's just, un- that's unescapable. But um, just being a, being real stealthy, you know, not driving a big, loud, obnoxious truck. Justin. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, whenever we go to, you know. Door knock, it's, yeah. your, it's your car. When we're door knocking and we just don't want to come across as like dangerous hunters who don't know what we're doing. We, you know, we, we're always coming presentable. We're always coming smelling good. Our hair's done as good as our mullets can look. 
And uh, it's all about your image and it's all about just being a little bit stealthy when it comes to the urban game. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. And so you're finding these deer, you know, you verified, like, let's say you get a tip, you know, there's a bean field nearby, mm -hmm. you go and glass that field from the side of the road, and bam, that buck that you want to chase is out there for sure target. What is your next move once you locate that deer? Kind of depends on the area. A lot of people will go like we were talking about, they'll try to get permission on that bean field, but it's not where we start. We like to see the deer in person, so we'll we'll drive by and see them if we can. But other than that, we try to we just do a lot of e scouting. I mean, we've got probably close to a thousand pens just all over Ohio. So from there, it's just kind of where we think that what's a good spot for that deer to end up going in the fall, where food's going to be, where bedding's going to be, water. Just kind of the three basics. I would say at least eighty percent of all the scouting we do is not in person, and that's just because the sheer challenge it is to find a big deer. You know, you kind of have to go to areas. We made a video on this on our YouTube channel. It's called How to Find a 150-inch Buck. We made a video on, like, these are exactly what you need to do. Step one, two, three, four. The very next video, we showed an example of us finding a 150-inch buck following the same steps and rules. Definitely check it out if you haven't. But um, there's a lot of good information in there, and we can kind of get into that today. But definitely e-scouting, I think, is, like, one of the first steps. Find an area where there's food, water, bedding. That can be urban or rural. Same rules apply. There's usually going to be a, a big deer there. And we just kind of go around and hit these sweet spots. The thing that blows my mind about this whole urban thing is if I locate a deer and he's n like in a general vicinity of some public land and I have an idea he's going to go back in there, I can go put boots on the ground and find oaks and do all this stuff. But for you guys, it's not very efficient to do that you really can't until you get permission yeah, you, you know you have to get permission so like you have to balance being able to get permission with the factors you need to anticipate that shift and so how do you go about that and then let's kind of fold into that anticipating the shift once you determine hey you have these you know you knocked on 20 doors you got four yeses mm -hmm. and you can go hunt there how do you determine if that's going to be the spot that will actually hold that deer or not with urban there's not very many spots that you hunt that do hold it it kind of goes back to the basics of look for the food if you have any oaks or anything on the property. But I mean, the spots we're hunting are anywhere from one to five acres as far as our urban spots. So it's like the odds of that deer bedding, eating and drinking on that property is not, not going to happen. So it's like, you got to hope that you have one of those three and be able to capitalize on that. From a radius standpoint, like you find a deer urban setting, what's the radius you're trying to set for like knocking on doors? Are you, you know, if there's a hundred houses on that street and it's a mile long, are you trying to get every one of them if possible? Are you knocking on every door? How do you prioritize that? E-scouting, honestly, what looks the best? Obviously the bigger the property, the more likely we are to knock on it at least first. But mm -hmm. typically by the end of it, you get pretty desperate to where you're like, I just need something, somewhere to put up a camera to see if this deer is even in the area mm -hmm. is step one. I could lie to you and say there's a methodology about it. But for me and Justin, we found out that if you just get one property, you might have to knock on 24 doors and you're not, you might not get the best one, but you, that can't get you down. If you knock on, we're right around maybe eight to 10% of a success rate of door knocking is exactly about 10%, success, yeah. 10 to 20 percent we're about me personally it's closer to 10 he's a lot better at it than me but just getting a property and in ohio i mean in the summer when you're anticipating the shift you know depending on if it's like a field or if it's not like we throw some corn out we throw some minerals out and like we shoot our shot and if it misses we go from there but like it's just all right what's the next best property what's the next best but you know what i did last year is i knocked on like 30 doors for King Neptune. King Neptune, if you don't know this, this buck, he was a buck I was after in the 2022 season. And uh, I actually shot him opening day, but you know, I had like two properties back to back where I could hunt this deer. That's all I needed. Yeah. I had a good, I got a question about urban hunting for you guys. I'm going to back it up a little bit and then we can keep going. When did you guys start getting into the urban hunting game? Like, were you guys hunting separately, like your own private farms or public or anything? And then you guys like with the urban hunting not really a boom. It's still kind of on the low right now, but what, what was that big driving force to get into that? Um, we've talked to Lee from Seek One a bunch. Um, obviously everybody knows them. They kill some absolute giants. I'd say we hit it heavy last year, but I'd say over the last couple of years, we kind of tinkled around in it. But last year was the first year that we really <laughs> were watching people's TVs from the tree stand. If I could pick... If I could hunt a rural buck or an urban buck, I'm still leaning more towards a rural buck. I feel more comfortable there. That's where I feel like, I feel like that's my game. I feel like if, uh, you know, a buck goes missing on a 300 acre piece, you have a lot, you have 300 acres where you, you can move. And I like that. Whereas, you know, in an urban area, it is like, you got an acre. You're on his time. You're on, on his time. Urban, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know. He's either there or he's not. And it's like, yeah. like you were going back and talking about as far as like boots on the ground scouting. I mean. 
when you got five acres, you kind of walk in and you're like, well, yeah, you like pick if, your setup and you're like, I hope he comes if, here. If, and that, if he doesn't, if that buck doesn't come on your one and a half acre permission piece, sorry, like try and knock on more doors. But if you've knocked on them all, like you're just out of luck. And that's, that's the urban game. And that's why I feel like it's really tough, but I do believe it is successful because you do watch somebody like, you know, leave from seek one last year, killing how many ever booners he did in all these States. Like there's a method to it. He knows what he is talking about and he's definitely a lot more knowledgeable about it, but there is a method to it. And we're still trying to figure that out. We're not trying to front and say that we're some great urban hunters because we're, you know, if you watch our video, it's very clear that we're still figuring it out, but there are giants to be found. So how do your methodologies change between urban and rural bucks. Let's jump over to the rural side of things real quick. What do you, like, what's the biggest thing that you see being a difference for you in your strategies? It honestly depends on whether or not there's a lead or if we've seen a good deer. As far as permission goes, I'd much rather knock on urban. Zach doesn't handle rejection very well. <laughs> Zach gets two no's and he's ready to go home for the day, but. I'm like knocking on the door like, sir, why are you crying? You're like, I just knocked on 10 doors and they told me to get off their property. Um, so yeah, permission is way harder on those big farms because I get it. And a lot of the times they're out in the country. They don't want people around them or bugging them. So it's like they either hunt or they want to get away from people. So it's never a good combination for getting permission as far as that that that's a whole lot more boots on the ground more cameras you're upping your chances for sure because if there's a big deer in the area and that one farmer says no that sucks but if you you know there's a deer in this area and there's 500 people that you can ask you're going to get a yes and you know that's at least a shot which is better than nothing yeah that's a really good point some of those big farms probably just i know they don't hold them all the time but some of them it's just a core area and you're like okay if it's not a rut situation or maybe like a late season food source shift i might never even get a chance at that deer you know i'm just playing the the observation game watching them on the other farm so that makes sense so let's jump into your trail camera strategies a little bit and we'll run through the rural and the urban because i think that they probably differentiate quite a bit so let's start with the rural trail cameras and what's some of your your general strategies for those farms that you do get permission on to hunt i'd say a lot of it depends on the time of year bean season it's tough we have a farm right now that i've seen four deer probably over 140 inches not a single one on trail camera, on camera yeah granted that farm is mostly just bag and there's probably 30 acres of 300 that's woods. But if it's close to season or in season, a lot of it is just going in the woods, finding sign. I mean, it goes back to being a good woodsman as far as being able to find rub lines, scrapes, stuff like that. Scrapes, something that we've always had a ton of good luck with, either making them or just yeah. finding natural ones that they hit all the time. So that's, I'd say, probably it. Like summer, don't limit your trail camera to just a trail because nine times out of 10, that deer that might cross that trail is 100% going to be out in that field. So just face it out towards the field, kind of pinch them in. So I would say scrapes, again, is a, bi- a really big one for us. We find those primary scrapes in those really heavily traveled areas just to get some inventory. And then, you know, once we put in a couple sits for a buck, you know, if it's like thick timber and it's like really far in there and you can't glass it, sometimes you just have to put a sit in or two, but we usually know what deer we're going after before we're sitting in there for sure. So with these scrapes, is there any like particular area that you typically are finding them, you know, like a staging area, transition area between bedding and open cover, field edges, anything like that? Field edges for sure. Like almost every field edge that we have on all of our properties, there's at least one scrape on it. I got you. Are those getting hit throughout the year or are you seeing that ramp up later into like the uh, pre-rut? It definitely ramps up, but a hundred percent. I mean, it's proven. I've seen so many people do so many time lapses of deer hitting the same scrape year round. They definitely hit them year round. They might not hit them as often, but they'll be there within maybe not every day, but usually once every few days. Yeah. If they're still in the area, that's the tough part is those deer in the summer typically aren't there in the fall. Yeah. And then I think that there's so many factors in that too, like, uh, you know, pressure. The more these deer are getting pressured, whether it's by you guys or somebody else, they, it might turn into a harder game to try to target that scrape as they, they're like, okay, I'm not going to get there until, until after dark or rate at gray light. I have a ton of success on scrapes that are pretty close proximity to bedding. And, you know, I see a lot of daytime movement there as well. So that's like, in my head, that's, you know, I don't have a lot of field edges to hunt. So my next opportunity is I'm going to push in towards the bedding and then try to be, you know, a lot of times the scrapes that I'm finding or making, because I make a ton of mocks now, if there isn't a scrape there, I'll make a mock like a hundred yards out of bedding in between the bed and the food. And man, those deer are getting up and they're hitting those scrapes consistently. And it just opens up a whole new realm. But, uh, but so you're running cameras on those scrapes. You're not really running them on trails. Are you guys doing anything as far as historical data in some of these farms? Are you taking the photos from last year and using, you know, that data to say, hey, I think this buck's going to shift back here around this time of year? 
Uh, I'd say 100%, but it honestly just depends on that property. I mean, every year we're getting new properties, so that's the fun of it. I love getting new properties, learning them, especially big farms, because it's like new deer, new property layout. You got to figure it all out, and that's like the fun part to be able to outsmart them. But yeah, I mean, especially for like Zach's deer this year, I mean, this will be the third year in a row that he'll fall back, hopefully. Around um, the same time. Yeah. In the same area. So and, it's and, like, you definitely have to anticipate that fall. And that's one thing with urban hunting is like, especially for us, since this is so new, whenever we're urban hunting, it is super hard to like predict where they're going. Like I shot my deer, um, he lived and then he was gone for rut and he never came back. Like that spot, I could shoot 20 deer in a morning. There's a lot of deer there. It's insane. I've never, I've never ever 40 had 50 something deer like that. Sits it's crazy. Time. And then they just disappear. They they go somewhere. And I was not able to find that. You know, I reached out to some of my resources. I even called Lee. I was like, listen, dude, you're an urban hunting legend, man. Like, where am I supposed to go? And he was, you know, he gave me some pointers, but I just could never find that deer. Um, I still don't know where he is. I've just seen pictures of him. But, you know, I, I anticipate him coming back very soon within probably a couple of weeks because last year he showed up pretty close to, I think it was a couple of days ago last year he showed up. So we're just anticipating that shift. Um, urban deer are just a little different. So as far as glassing, do you guys have any like specific glassing strategies? Do you have a system down at all? Or are you just kind of driving by specific bean fields? Um, that, and even from an equipment standpoint, what are you using to glass? Uh, just right. We want to get a spotting scope right now. We're just running some vortex binos. Um, we just got the mag view mm -hmm. scope. That's pretty sweet. That thing's it's pretty gotta sweet. be. I yeah, want one sweet. so bad. I'll show you some videos <laughs> yeah. after, but I, I mean, mean, it's not, it's not on your 4k cinema footage, but you can record and know what a deer looks like from really far away. Way, that, way better. I mean, you spend $2,000 on a lens or get a little $20 mag view worth it. Yeah. Definitely worth it. Right now I've been, uh, I've been trying to hold my phone up to my 10 by 42 Vortex binos. <laughs> we did the same exact thing. And, and it'll it's be so like shaky. a half moon in the top with a one little tine. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Like, this has got to stop. It's frustrating. So, yeah, I definitely think the uh, the spotting scope's on my agenda to get to. It's same thing. I just feel like that is... It it's a game changer. Change. It's a game changer. Mm -hmm. It definitely is. Because then you don't have to park so close to the bean field and everyone knows what... Like, if, if I see somebody parked on the side of the road and they're glassing... I I'm usually gonna, place a pin. Yeah, I'm going to place a pin and be like, I better check this out. I mean, like, I'm not going to be a jerk, but there's not a lot of big deer to go around. I mean, there there are big deer, but, like... It depends on your standards. I mean, yeah. our standards are kind of booner or bust, so, I mean... Every tip's a good tip. Every field's a good field. But yeah. to kind of answer your question, I wouldn't say we have really any strategies. Um, we know what fields usually around us that we've done a lot of research on, but I mean, we still drive by new fields all the time. I mean, we drove by not even really a bean field, just like more so a grass field the other day and saw a buck that we've had in the fall two years ago and probably 150 inch yeah. point. And I mean, I was like, oh, yeah. he's just standing in the grass. Yeah, I passed him two years ago and he was several miles down the road. Are you only glassing soybean fields or do you have any other Pretty thing much. like, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, some bedding areas, I mean, depending on if it's CRP or not, but that's so hit or miss. I mean, it's you mostly have to egg. see them stand up. Deer have to eat and where we're at in Ohio, it's corn or beans. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, They're you can't, you can't see them in corn. So yeah. it's Man. just, it's just beans for us. I'll tell you what, when I was in New York, we had alfalfa fields. And you want to talk oh, about seeing a lot juiced. of deer. Yeah. I've got one I found in Ohio and it's just a local, it looks like a dairy farm. They have one alfalfa field out there. It's tore up. Oh, it's, I mean, every night it's 40, 50 deer in that field. It's just I unbelievable. It's like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There was one tip that you had there that we kind of overlooked and I want to go back to it because I think it could be really valuable for people. And Justin, you mentioned it. It was where you're glassing from. Actually, it might have been you, Zach, with a spotter. You know, you said when you have a spotter, when you finally get one, you're not going to glass from the obvious spots. And that to me is, it's honestly something I've really never thought about. I'm a pull off the road and glass kind of guy. And I have a lot of people slow way down and like try to look in my window and see who I am or like, you know, a whole thing. And I'm sure they're doing the same thing. They're doing a pin drop. So I've really never considered that, but I've got some spots where I almost wonder, you know, I've, it, it's tough to glass some of these fields because then you get, I almost get like anxiety sitting on the side of the road. Like, is somebody going to hit me? You know, it's over a little rolling hill or obviously people know about it and every, am I going to get pulled over? Like there's all these factors in my head right now what i'm thinking is i've got a couple spots where it's really good bean fields and there's houses in range of that and i almost feel like just going and knocking on their door and being like hey can i put a lawn chair in your yeah. front yard and, <laughs> and just spot that field over there and i don't want to hunt your land at all i just want to sit in your yard and like i'll drink a beer with you like let's have yeah. some beers in the front yard <laughs> 
have a bonfire yeah, going just or something. Hanging out, new best friend. Yeah. So, so I think that that's very, it's really valuable though. And yeah, so any, anybody listening, that might be something that you want to, you know, utilize and start thinking about tactic wise with glassing is just trying to make it not obvious because that is. With urban hunting, that is just way bigger. That's a way bigger deal than like rural hunting. And not that it's not a big deal. And obviously if we see somebody and like they're glassing a deer and like, I'm not going to step on your toes and shoot your deer. But it is interesting. I now know that there could be a big deer in the area and like that could lead to, you know, this, you know, I might see that deer and like the genetics and get a spot around, you know, literally everything helps. I think we, at least once a day, we are, we're calling each other saying like, Hey, I spoke with this person today. They said, this is a really good area. Let's make it a point to check that out to see if we have connections to somebody who lives here or see if we, you know, a lot of our permission pieces are just people that we know of who are friends with this person. And like, it's really kind of who, you know, especially with urban deer. Cause a lot of these people, you know, you go across the street to their best friend, their neighbor, and they like you like, you know, that, that could be a game changer. So. And I think going back to the, uh, where you sit is also a big thing because everything, every bit of information, the more I think about it, we take everything into account. Like driving by, you can read the uh, decals they have on their truck. You can see what they look like. You can kind of tell if they're a serious hunter or whatnot. And from there, I mean, if you go to, especially in urban, if you go to door knock and somebody already has permission, you can kind of be like, well, it could be that guy. Or you can kind of get a gauge of what kind of hunters are in the area. If it's somebody just trying to fill the freezer, if it's somebody that's a trophy hunter. When you guys get permission on pieces, how much does it play into account? Like say you get permission on a spot. Do you go knock on the neighbor's doors too? Like immediately, or do you ask him? Like, do you find out the neighbors are cool? You being there? Cause I, I wouldn't call it urban hunting, but back when I'm from in Pennsylvania, it was kind of rural, but they were really small farms, like 30 acre little pieces of farms. And the neighbors on both sides hated hunting. So like I couldn't track a deer. So I had to make sure I killed that deer in a certain spot. So I know it wouldn't run to a certain property. So now when I moved to Ohio and I I got a couple permission pieces here, I made sure before I stepped foot on that property that the neighbors were okay with me doing that, or at least knew I was there. Yeah. Even if they weren't okay with me tracking a deer, I'd find a way to hunt. So that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I wanted them to know I was there, so because I've had hunter harassment before. I've had guys drive quads up and down because the neighbors didn't like me. So do you guys pay attention to that? Do you care about that? Or I think it can be really good because you make, hey, your uh, neighbor said it's cool if I hunt. Do you care if I hunt your property too, or do you care if I recover a deer? Or just letting them know. But that, there, there's a lot an of inherent times, risk. But then yeah. silence is key, though, too. Is that what you're getting at? Like, it, yeah. if they don't know you're there, then it doesn't, they can't be mad. They can't come and harass you while your truck's pulled there or something yeah. like that. You can either get permission with the permission piece that you have, be like, hey, your neighbor lets me hunt. Do you care if I hunt your property? Or it can, hey, your neighbor lets me hunt. And then that turns into an issue and you can lose permission like that. Yep. Yeah. Like, hey, I let you, uh, you know, I gave you permission, but I just realized that my neighbor's not cool with it. And I don't want my neighbor to be, you know, pissed at me for years because I did this. So unfortunately, even though I'm okay with it, it's not comfortable with me anymore. That's, that's happened to us several times on some really good leads and that's just really annoying and that's something that every time we just look around you know if they have like a i don't know not to get political but if they have like a trump sign and like a, an american flag and they're like you know an elderly nice couple sipping sweet tea on the front porch i might pull in and be like hey and like kind of introduce myself but i mean you know if i'm unsure you know if i'm unable to read that situation the answer for me and justin are, is always like hey if a deer's not supposed to know that i'm in the woods then that neighbor shouldn't know, you know, like it's a lot harder to fool a deer. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, in theory, no one should know I'm in here, you know, like that neighbor shouldn't be able to, but that's, again, that's another part of urban hunting. Like you might pull up to your spot right on time, but you know, the, that neighbor that you're unsure of is mowing his grass. You might just have to wait and get to the stand late. Like that happened to me a few times, you know, it stinks, but I'd rather keep the hunting permission and, you know, hunt and, you know, hunt late or just hunt another week. So I, I just want to dive deeper into trying to gain access. And I have a bunch of questions here. The first one in my head is reading people. You mentioned it a little bit, how you're trying to read the situation. And so like, let's say that you have a piece of urban land that you want to gain access to. And then you have a a rural piece, a big farm that you want to gain access to. How does your strategy change based on that? Like, because I know for me, I'm going to try to figure out as much as I can about that person and how to relate to them and adjust my strategy to make them comfortable. You know what I mean? So how are you reading that situation? Whether it be like, let's start with the the farmer. Farmer John's got 300 acres. There's a booner out there. What's your process? Usually for that, we'll go out there, go to his house or whatnot. You take your truck instead of the car. 
Uh, actually, yeah, with those bigger farms, yeah, because a lot of the times we'll offer to work for them. We'll be like, hey, we can help you bay hail. We can help you. Pull up in a Prius. They might not be so sure about that. Yeah. But like, yeah, we for the bigger farms, we usually always offer some sort of compensation. Not We haven't paid for a single piece we have. Not, I mean, not money compensation. I mean, if it's a giant deer, I mean, yeah. I'll reach really far <laughs> in my pocket. <laughs> you know, like, hey, you have livestock. You know, you probably got coyotes. If so, like. The we'll, property I killed Prodigy on, I helped the guy. That one was, that was a rough fence. year. I had to get out of the stand, and Prodigy ended up daylighting that day, and I was out there helping the dude fix his fence in 25-degree weather because he had a bunch of them and yeah. the goats and the what, – what else did he have? Goats he and had sheep. a bunch of stuff, cattle, Go- sheep. He's they got, got out, and they just from. tore up our corn all the time. Dude, we'd have 500 pictures we'd wake up to, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that stinks. You were in the stand, and you, know, you had a good feeling about it, and the property owner was like, hey, can you help me out with my fence? And he hopped down, and then he checked the trail cameras and – he was there. And that deer that he was after, the 183-inch buck, Sean. An yeah. hour and a half before daylight, I'm out there on the dude's tractor helping him put fence posts in. You killed him, though. But so, like, how are you dressed? You know, I want to get into the nitty-gritty details here. So, like, are you dressing differently oh, as yeah. well? Urban, uh, definitely a lot nicer. Let's, let's stick with the farms first. Farms, Is there anything specific? Pretty similar. Uh, boots, jeans, usually a nice shirt. Either, like, a polo or a nice T-shirt. Hair done. Yeah, I mean, we just dress nice. We just want to look presentable, you know, holes in jeans, nice boots. I mean, you just want to look like you know what you're doing and you know what you're talking about. Sometimes I wear like a polo, but mostly, you know, so I'll kind of go over our spiel. I mean, we have a couple like tips and tricks and stuff. And Okay, so I'm, I'm Farmer John. Okay. Okay, so you want access to my 300 acres. There's a booner feeding in the yeah. soybeans right now. First thing that I, well, there's actually two things up front <laughs> that you want to know. How do they feel about deer? That's more like urban, but for rural, like, how do you feel about the deer? Are they tearing up your corn? Are they doing this or that? But the thing I do even before that is say, hey, I'm not selling anything. I'm not here to bug you. I just have a quick question for you. You know, like instantly they're like, oh, this guy's not like a solicitor. He's not a salesman. He looks like he's not selling me nothing. You know, yeah, I just want to know how they feel about deer. And then um, honestly, just strike up a conversation. They like to talk, you know, try and find a connection, find somebody that, you know, like if they say something that, you know, helps you push the conversation and get to where you're talking longer. Um, not too long because you don't want to take their time, but if they're into it, try and drag it out as long as you can. Like an hour conversation is worth a good perm- a, a good hunting permission. I would say that's tip number one. When I'm walking up, I'm looking for a sign in the yard. I'm looking for a flag. I'm looking for a bumper sticker, anything that you can relate yeah. on, whether it's an Ohio State Buckeyes flag. That's something that you can create a connection on and it's easier to talk about. But honestly, it just depends on whether or not we have intel of a deer's there or not. Sometimes it's... Do you have a problem with deer here, especially big farms? I mean, a lot of farms we have, all the farmers hate the deer. They're like, you can shoot 50 of them. I'm like, well, we can't, but I appreciate your willingness. Um, But yeah, just find a connection. That's step number one. Yeah. And if they're unsure about it, don't ask to hunt it yet. Just say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in the deer population around here. There's, I'm just doing my thing. Is it okay if I put a trail camera up? You know, like they might not be open to you hunting yet because they don't know you, but like they might be willing to let you put a camera up and you're like, Hey, I'll send you all the pictures of the deer that you got out here. You know, I'll keep you informed. I'll definitely not explain that it's a cell camera and all that stuff. I mean, if they're a farmer, if it's farmer Johnson, they probably have a couple people hunting anyways, but just be as friendly and as nice as you can. And I mean, we're, we're, we're just ourselves. We don't really overcomplicate it, but two things you definitely want to do up front is let, let them know you're not there to bother them or sell them anything. And then the second thing is how do they feel about the deer? If they're, if they hate them, it's looking good for you, but if, you know, they're indifferent, you know, I guess you'll just have to see where the conversation takes you. So let's, let's transition over to the urban knocking on doors. How's your strategy change? Urban gets a lot more, I'd say, analytical, a lot more questions, I'd say. You have to guide the conversation. Of, you have to be able to think on the spot because the second you stutter, the second you sound stupid, the conversation's over like that. Like if you stutter, you're like thinking about something, they're going to be like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's you trying say, to- um, too much or you, you just sound like you like you sound like you feel bad asking them. They just lose confidence like that. It takes like half a second for them to basically see if you're a good person or not. So like always smile. One one of the things that we do is we kind of look for this year for like the signs, you know, like the signs in the yard or if they have like a garden, you know, if they have a garden full of nice stuff and there's like little fences around it to try to keep the deer out. Or trees. That's a good door to knock on because they're obviously not too happy. 
you guys use an Onyx or what Spartan do you, Forge. Spartan Forge. Okay. So you get in Spartan Forge and you're going through the property owner details. Do you ever take that and do like a Facebook Dude, search? I to was going to bring that up. Them? We could be FBI agents. I've done that. Give us five minutes and we'll find out who owns it and how to, and how to get in contact with them. Yeah. What they, what they like off yep. their Facebook posts. And All so the profile picture covers, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. We have planned out <laughs> our approaches. If, 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 if it's a, this is a good buck and this is the only property the only one we take a day or two and we just do some research. We see if we you know our uncle, he knows everybody. So we're like, do you know this person? And nine times out of 10, he's like, no, but I know this person who knows this person and just establishing some, some sort of connection, just getting our odds better. You know, and if they're like a farmer, like we don't go there in the middle of the day or like during that season. Like if it, if, if they're a farmer, we'll, you know, we'll ask the season before once they've already harvested their crops and they're not doing anything and they're just relaxing. And you know, they're thinking about planting again and all those deer coming out there. So like, I'd say number one is connection. Number two is kind of how you talk, talk presentable, talk like you know what you're talking about, talk respectful. Um, but yeah, number three is, uh, like you said, kind of doing any bit of research that you can. Any, Because just because you walk up and you think that you're going to have a connection doesn't mean that you will. But if you do any bit of research before, I mean, you can definitely figure out a lot about somebody based off their Facebook posts. You know, I wonder if you can, I don't know if you guys have looked into this or not, but back in New York, I live close to a, a little city and all the people that I knew around that city, they didn't know anything about deer until the winter time and they hated them because they would eat their bushes. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you can play that and be like, I'm going to knock on that person's door in the winter when the deer are really ticking them off. I just wonder if they're more apt to say yes, if they're irritated with them because of something like that, where in the summertime, if they're not seeing them, they might be like, oh no, they're fine. But as soon as it's a problem, maybe you can capitalize on that. So do you guys do anything like that? Yeah, I would say, especially the summertime, I, I don't like uh, door knocking urban a ton because you got all the fawns out and they see all these little babies and they think you're going to go out there and kill Bambi. I'm like, no, I'm looking for a specific deer. And that's what I explained to them. I'm like, hey, I'm not out here to just kill Bambi and Bambi's mom. I'm out here chasing the biggest, most mature buck who's pushing all these other deer out of the air anyways, which is why you have car accidents and then bedding in your bushes yeah and you guys don't you don't have to get too into detail with this but like when you guys knock on a on a door and you get to that point where you said you don't ask for permission you, say you get to that point where you're ready to ask do you just ask to hunt the property or did, have you ever asked like can i hunt your property in october or can i hunt it in november like or is that just reading off that guy if he's on the fence about it like you think he's gonna say yeah but you're not sure so you don't want to just ask hey can i hunt your property if he seems like he's kind of into it, we'll lean more into that trail camera because one, if there's not a deer there, it's not even worth having hunting permission. Um, that's a whole nother step down the line. Plus, once you have a connection, I mean, we've gotten coyote hunting turned into deer hunting. We've gotten trail cameras turned into deer hunting. I mean, once you know that there's a deer there that you want to target and you've already had a connection, I mean, we'll even go out there and pull the card or put out more minerals or something like that. Send a text or something like that. Just to get more FaceTime. Build that relationship with that property owner. Because if you've been there for a couple months and he hasn't had any issues and you're respectful and you let him know every time you're coming over and when you're going to be there and it's, you're sending, like you said, sending him pictures of deer. He's a whole lot, the connection is there. Like if you know somebody for a couple months, you're like, okay, this guy seems pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, the guy, the guy that I got permission for, for King Neptune and, you know, God willing, I actually killed this deer this year. Um there's a lot of footage that I didn't put in that first film because, you know, I wanted a lot of that to be special, but I kind of summarized it in, in that film also because we were tracking his season as well. But, you know, that property owner was not necessarily, I'll just kind of explain what happened. So I knocked on the door and it was a kid that opened up. He was like, a, he was like a high school aged. And, um, you know, I felt like I had a little bit of like, I instantly changed my approach. It was not like, bro, it was like, hey, I have a YouTube channel. This is how many followers I got. You should check it out. Like, I'm cool, you right? You have to like, make it seem like you're cool before exactly. you're like, so the deer population is doing this sure, this year. because they don't care, you know? And I was like, bro, like, I'm cool. I'm like, you know. Hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, cool, bro. And I said, so is it cool if I put a camera in, you know, in your, in your property? And he was like, well, my dad's not home. I was like, okay, well, like, that's fine. I'll just come back. And he's like, he, he wouldn't care. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, he wouldn't care. And I was, and I was like, all right. So if your dad comes home and he's mad at me, like you'll vouch for me. Right. And he goes, oh yeah, 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 sure. So I put a camera out and I, I put, I put out some corn, you know, cause I just wanted to get inventory. This was the first permission piece I got. And it just so happened to be the one that I did get him at. And I'm like, you know, I got the corn out, I got the camera set and on and ready. I activated a new camera and everything. I was stoked. Right. It was getting a little dark. And the dad walks, he gets home and he walks out there and he goes, can I help you? And I'm like, 
hey, and I had to like kind of backtrack a, a little bit, but like if I, if, you know, I just walked away from that door, I would not have had my opportunity at him. But long story short, you know, he was like, well, I don't mind as long as it's cool with my neighbor. Spoke with a neighbor and he was talked for me. You know, he, he talked for like two, probably two hours, but I let that conversation go as long as he brought me inside. I, I knew that his daughter paints and I know that she does all this. And I'm just like, that's awesome. Wow. That's great. You know, but in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, now I have two properties back to back and it was okay with him and it was okay with them, but it was a lot of finessing. It took me about four hours total from the time I knocked on the first door from the time I left and got that first picture. I was concerned because he texted me after he got the first piece. He's like, I got permission. And then I was texting him and he didn't respond. It was like, I, it was like 530 when you got it and you didn't text me back till like 930. I was yeah. like, did this guy get kidnapped? <laughs> like, cause <laughs> you, much, yeah. you never know what these people are like, man. You go yeah. inside these people's houses. But even though I have two properties back to back and then, and the neighbors are fine. Like it's still not a ton of area. There's still a lot of eyes on me when I pull into that property. So I got, you just gotta be stealthy. Sometimes you gotta get there really early in the morning for an, an evening set and just wait all day and just pull, just pulling all day. Yeah. That's a good point. You like just staying out there until dark, just so you don't have to walk back to the vehicle with a weapon and, and camouflage. Yeah, that's and- the worst is when you're walking around and they're like, I remember I thought he was going to show up the night of trick or treat. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, this buck's going to daylight. And I mean, I'm, I would be able to see the children walk in the sidewalk and I'm like, I just, I'm not even going to ask the property owner to hunt. Cause I don't want him to be like, all right, you're pushing the limits. He didn't daylight, but if he did, like I wasn't going to be there. Cause I just, you don't, you don't want to push your luck. So you get permission on all these pieces, you know, where you're chasing Neptune, right. Mm-hmm. And where you've killed some good bucks and all this. Are you guys doing anything to just reassure that relationship you built throughout the year? Like, are you sending them cards at some point in the year, like thank yous or anything like that? We've done gift cards and stuff like that for um, a good portion of them. I mean, we, we can't do all of them. We get a lot of permission pieces, but some a lot of the really of the good, good ones. ones that we yeah. want to keep, we'll like send them an Amazon gift card. Thanks for helping us, or yeah, thanks for helping us out. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing, and we really appreciate you. I'm, I remember my wife had some you know my my mother-in-law's retirement party somebody brought like 10 pies and only like two of them were taken so i had a bunch of pies i just went over and i brought my <laughs> pie for you yeah, pie like, for hey, you. happy thanksgiving that's the old school way exactly. to do it that's how all the guys in my hunting camp all the older guys that's how they used to get permission back in the 70s and 80s they just i'm from philly we'd go up to the mountains they'd bring cheesesteaks and stuff from philly up to these farmers and that's how they'd get permission it was a handshake mm-hmm. back then I guess you just have to put your personality into it. And if you don't have a lot of personality, you're going to struggle yeah. because a lot of those people, they, they want to trust you because you're going to be on their property shooting animals. Like they, they just want to know that you're a good guy and at the end of the day. I'd say 99% of urban people, like people that live in the cities have no idea what actually goes into hunting. I'd say the biggest, biggest step is clarify what the difference between bow hunting and gun hunting is. Yes. Cause they think you're going in there and just cranking off an AR-15. That was deer. the difference between a couple of our properties. Once they weren't cool with it. And once we said we're bow hunters, he goes, Oh, you guys are bow hunters. And he's like, Oh, well I'm fine with that. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even think to tell you that, but it's a really good point. Ever you since learned, then you learn that ever since then you put that in your spiel, you know, you put that in your, well, what you say, say I'm a bow hunter only. I don't gun hunt or anything like that. I mean, especially in urban hear, areas. Yeah. Th- I mean, I'd say that's key. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm up in a tree. I'm shooting at an elevated position. There's no way this arrow is going to harm anything except, you know, the animal that I plan to harvest. Now, are you guys doing this together? Cause you guys are talking about your guys' plans. Like, are you guys mapping, e-mapping separately, like e-scouting separately or doing it together? A little. 95% of the time we're usually on discord looking and I'm like, here, look at this, sharing my screen. I'm like, what do you think of this? But I would never, I would never have a deer or a property that I did not instantly call him and be like, we got a permission. We have a lead. It's us, you know? And that's kind of, that's cool. That's something that not a lot of people have. Like I would pass a 200 inch deer if it was the deer that he was going after. And that's just how it has to be for this relationship to work and for the business to work. And well, that's how it was with Prodigy. Yeah. I mean, you could have shot him at 45 yards and you didn't mm-hmm. before he even showed up, before we even knew it was him until we looked back. I just, we were just hunting and this giant deer show showed up and he was far away, but I just was like, this is a mega giant. And he came in and we actually didn't get footage of it because the camera malfunctioned. But No, the camera, we'll tell the story. Yeah. Well, you malfunctioned and the camera didn't work, but. Um, I pressed record twice. So we had a nice two second clip. So we didn't record it, but looking back, that was definitely that deer, but he ended up not, not, not coming in, but. I mean, if I saw him and he came in and it was that, it was his deer, I just wouldn't have shot it. I mean, you could have shot him at 45 yards. He was at 45 yards. That's really cool. So I think we covered access pretty well. Uh, the last 
question I have before we get into filming and storytelling and all that that you guys do so well is just do you have any other preparation you're doing all summer? So, Justin, you worked at a bow shop for a while. Mm-hmm. Are you guys tuning your, your gear, shooting your bows, uh, you know, taping up your gear to go use in the tree? Are you doing presets in some of these spots where you're going out and actually getting the trees ready? Run me through that whole process. So... First, the biggest step I'd say that also helps a ton with urban is we don't set stands. It's all saddles, which is why we're so excited to be working with Latitude. But with that, that's also a big a big thing because somebody thinks of you, say they're okay with you bow hunting, say they're okay with you being on their property, but it's like at the end of the day, if it's three acres, they can see your tree stand from their back window it's when it's huge. late season. So it's like every time I go in, I... I put it up and every time I come out, I take it down. So you have nothing in there. There's no marks left on your tree. Um, if you were to take a stroll through the woods, they wouldn't be like, what is that? You know, it's, there's, you leave nothing. And that's also really, I mean, that's, that's kind of a big deal for urban hunting. For sure. I mean, because all these properties are small. It's not like you're going out 300 acres behind somebody's house where they never go. I mean, we've literally had people say, I can see you from my back porch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I had a guy who had permission to hunt at the property next to the one that I had last year. And I didn't know it until like halfway through the season, there was a note left on my car and instantly I was like, oh my gosh, a note. This is never good. But then I opened it up and it was actually a cool guy. He was like, hey, you know, I assume you're going after the big one. I had a couple pictures of him and I'd love to talk. So I just, you know, I talked with him and he's a really cool guy. I actually just met with him the other day. Um, he was like, yeah, if that deer shows up, I'll pass him for you. You know, he's just kind of like a, you know, he's just a meat hunter. And I was like, well, I really appreciate that. There's not a lot of people that would do that. You know, he saw me in the woods and it, you know, then we started switching to saddles and it wasn't really an issue for us. Yeah. But I'd say more preparation. Yeah. We're obviously shooting our bows. Zach just actually got us some cool matching tape to put on our new yeah. latitude sticks that we're super excited. And we actually just got those like yesterday or the day before. Yeah. yeah we uh-huh. just, we just, we just got the new sticks. They're pretty sweet. What do you guys think? Dude, I picked up the box. I was like, it's empty. And then I opened it up. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, there's three sticks in it. I here. tried to tell him because I met with D-Rock about it. And I was like, dude, they're like, it's, it's actually crazy. Yeah, the sticks wild. we're switching from. Um, we won't name drop, but they're about two, two and a half pounds each. And it's like, these are like, a, what is it, like a pound? 19 or a pound? ounces. Yeah, yeah 19 which ounces. is nothing at all. Yeah, I couldn't help but smile when I... I was holding them. I was like, this is crazy. They just look cool. Well, I mean, because there are some properties that we have to hike in and it's it's going to be easier. 100%. Yeah. Plus they're small and the ones that we had were kind of larger and, and you get just smacked on trees, crouch under trees and you just have to sit down. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So shooting your bows, uh, I'm sure you got your arrows ready. You got your broadheads tuned up. Everything's, everything's ready to fly going into season. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I mean, okay. As good as you can be. I mean. We always want extra shots and stuff like that. But. I mean, I feel like you can never be prepared enough. You just have to get to a point where you're confident. Yeah. And if you're confident, that goes a, that goes a long way. It really does. I always, I try to build up that confidence and it, I really don't get that confidence until the day I'm going to go hunt that spot because I need those conditions. You know what I mean? But the one thing I will tell you is I don't know if it's just like my personality or what, but leading into season, I always feel behind. Like, Every I feel year. like, I, yeah. Dude, that's all my texts to Justin. They're like, I feel like we need to do more. And he's like, bro, chill out. Yeah, but <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That is like the, in my opinion, like that's such a good trait of high performers. It really is. Like if you think you've done enough and you settle, you're probably not going to have a ton of consistent success. But if you are constantly hungry and just grinding and just going, you know, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. There's, it's, you're going to be successful. You're going to, you're going to force that success. Yeah. Because it means you're doing more work. And if you do more work, at least the right work, I mean, you're getting more information, you're gaining more permission. I mean, everything falls into your favor at that point. But I'd say another big confidence thing is just killing some does early season, knocking the rust off. You haven't shot a deer or at a deer in eight to nine months usually. So killing a couple does early season, maybe not at that main spot that you're hoping for that buck, but it's, I mean, at the end of the day, you're still taking an animal's life and that's something that you need to be prepared and confident for, whether it has 170 inches of horns or buttons. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're like a pretty good combination. Like we work really well together as far as business and just like in general as a friendship that like people who hunt together, that can get really ugly. But for us, like he's extremely positive and confident, which is what I need. But I'm also in an, like, I just worry. I have, I've, I figure out everything that could go wrong and I try to plan for it. And then 
you know, now that I've have now that I've seen all the options that this can go wrong and I've planned for it and then he instills a confidence and then usually we can get it done. This dude goes down some deep rabbit holes, dude. dude. <laughs> some dude, deep rabbit holes. Sometimes, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like three in the morning and it's, I'm like, <laughs> We gotta find this deer, man. He goes, Just go to bed, man. I, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. We're gonna jump into the next segment of the show and D Rock is gonna take over host. So oh, no. D Rock, you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. What do you got for us, bud? I got a lot for you. I had to write it down. I'm not as prepared as Jake. Um, but no, seriously, what I really like about you guys and I've I've watched you guys even before we talked to each other and got to know each other now, um, is you guys aren't you're not putting a video out every day or once a week. You're not forcing content. You guys are waiting until you build up a story that you are confident enough that you're ready to tell and do it right. And my question for that is what what instilled that in you guys? Like when you guys started filming like you didn't want to do it the way that most guys do it. You'll you'll mind posting not every week because you want to tell that perfect story that one film like that film you guys put out this year with your buck Neptune. I mean, it was incredible. And the storytelling that went into that. What when you guys started filming, what direction did you guys want to go in? Like, did you want to do that? Did you want to be the storytellers? Or did you just want to be the content creators or just filming hunts? What yeah. was that? I'd say it's a mixture of everything. I mean, Zach's really big. I mean, all the storytelling is 99% him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something that he's really gifted with. And a lot of the times it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, all right, whatever. We'll go, we'll go through the motions. And yeah, then I'll it turns out like, dude, this shot's going to be great. And he's just like, we're doing something. And I'm like, yeah, but like, <laughs> let's get the shot real quick. And we always put it in like the film and he's always like, man, that's a really yeah, good shot. Yeah. So you, you're, that's my D rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, very, you're yeah. annoyed at him because you're just trying to do something, change, change the camera. And he's like, okay, now do it again. I'm like, D rock, we're 80 yards from a bed, dude. He's like, yeah, but Jake, this shot is sick. Start climbing this tree. You're yeah. like, no. Yeah. Um, so j- yeah, to, to answer that question, we have had that question a lot on the channel and just people asking like, why don't you, you know, give us more content and Honestly, I could do that and we we could edit videos of our hunts as the season goes and you can follow along like per episode, but like it's not entertaining. I mean, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't watch a video if I knew a deer wasn't going to get killed and that's just maybe I would, but like I would have to really like the personality of the people and like well, that's what you guys did with that that video. I mean, like you said, you wouldn't want to watch a deer a video of the deer getting killed and I was glued. I couldn't look away and I knew the outcome of it. It was just put together great and the storyline was fantastic so i like you said like you guys can put that out but you don't force it you're not just putting videos out to put videos out there's love and all that because there's content creators there's guys who film hunts and they're storytellers and i love the storytelling i try to tell jake everyone at latitude like we're we try to tell a story we're storytellers we're not just videographers and i really admire that about you guys yeah. So, I mean, I'll speak a little bit to that. So just a little bit of background on me. You know, I, I went to art school. I went for illustration. I was always very creative as a person. I was a big fibber as a kid. So, so I can't remember that, but I guess I was. So in my head, I just wanted to create a cool story, a fun story. Like, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't do that today at school, but it would be a lot cooler if I did. So, I, you know, I guess that's what I used to do. So it's always been inside of me, I guess. But, you know, in college, that's when I really started to learn that I love film. You know, like I used to draw and that was my creative outlet, but it just was never enough. I was never satisfied, but whenever I could like tell it, cause it was, it's hard to tell a story with a drawing or an illustration, but with a movie or a film or a video, it's lots of moving pictures and you can add sound and you can do voiceovers and you can like, you know, shoot from this angle and make, you know, give a more empowering feeling or like, you know, even a, like a moving shot gives, you know, flow. But if you stagnant, it's like, it says something. And I studied that. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It was mostly just out of passion. Like I didn't need to. I just really enjoy it. You know, I, I, I've, ri- I've written a couple movies. Um, just storytelling in general, I feel like just comes a little bit more naturally to me. And that's just, I mean, you can just see that in our videos. Like if we're just filming a video and it's not a hunting or a storytelling video, it's just us like doing summer prep. It's still going to have like some sort of a story, even if you don't pick up on it. But that's what keeps people watching. And that's like what I really get into. Yeah, you nailed it with passion. That that word you said there, that's that's how I live my life. If you if you don't have passion, I don't know. You'll never do it. I, it's anything in life though. If you don't have passion and our buddy DJ Riley says it all the time. He says, I, I don't I don't wanna say exact words, but he says you need to find you need to find passion for something in your life or else you're not living. It doesn't matter what it is, like painting, if that's your passion, you gotta have passion. So you having passion for that, clearly you could see that that's what it is, is why you guys are doing so well with 
your content, whether you're killing a deer or not. Like the video you just talked about, you just did, it was just summer prep. It was, you guys were telling your story. It wasn't you standing in front of a tree just saying, this is what we're doing. It was who you guys are as friends. And that's also really cool that you guys, the way you guys came up together. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When did you guys start wanting to film hunting? Because I know you said you went to school and were you reluctant about it? Like when he brought it up to filming or was it your idea? Oh, no, or was it was a hundred percent. It was definitely, reluctant. yeah, it was his box. So, I mean, yeah, it you, was prodigy the, the year of 2020. So he was a mainframe. I think he ended up scoring like 151. And at that point that was like the biggest deer that either of us had chased quote unquote. And we were like, dude, it'd be so, you were like, it'd be so cool to get this on film. And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to kill this deer. So he started coming along and filming the hunts and Mind we were you, this, this was in college whenever I had really discovered, like, I want to start filming. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, he, he followed along. I'd end up killing him that year, but he made a 34 inch jump from, uh, four and a half to five and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, okay, this could actually be something like 183 inch typical. Granted, we didn't think he was that big. No, we were shook. Um, but a deer that big, it's like, it deserves to have its own story and its own film. Yeah. But like creaking started out. Like six years ago, this was whenever I was seven years ago. Yeah, I was like a freshman in college or something. I don't really. It was a long time ago. I can't remember exactly what was happening in my life back then. But we made like a couple videos. It was honestly just an idea. I just wanted to create something, and I wanted to practice using video. And we would fish like every single night, man. We would just not. We would just knock them down all over Columbus, and that was our plan. But like we didn't have a camera. Everything was filmed on phone. I didn't have like an editing software. I was just really getting into it. And then uh, we filmed like two videos and then we stopped for like five years. And then his buck, you know, he found this big deer. And I'm like, we should film this. And I was like, let's start creaking these back up. And he's like, all right, we're getting the band back together. So the origin, I've, I've been asked this question by a bunch of people. So the origin of Creek Kings is actually a fishing channel. It's a, it it's Creek a Kings, baby. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I always, I was like, what is that? Like, it's such a, you know, a curveball. It goes together because a lot of the spots we hunt or like a long creeks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And it, we're too far into it at this yeah, point. I, mean, to I love kind it. Of go it's, back. Such, it's so unique. Yeah, that's mm. uh, that's awesome. But we had, I mean, we had maybe hunted a few times before that, but like Nothing we were serious. just primarily fishermen. We just love fishing. And then, you know, we got bit by the whitetail bug whenever we I saw that deer in, in, in person and I saw a sheds. You know, I, how, how big was his sheds that year? That you, that, 151. It was yeah. what he would have been with so it inside. So, like, we found these pair of matching sheds, and instantly I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then the very next year, I'm like, I'm not shooting a deer that's smaller than 150 inches. That's a big statement for somebody who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and I can admit right now, I had no idea what I was doing. In, in, that, in that video, I killed a, like, 160-inch mainframe 8. He had his G2s were um, matching split with a kicker. So, he was technically a 12-point, 12, 12 scoreable points, but he scored around 160. And for me, like, I had... That fell into my lap. I did not, I wasn't, I sh- wasn't hunting that deer, but that really just gripped my soul. Like we're, we're whitetail hunters now. And that's just what all the videos have been. I mean, it has followed our passion from slowly, you know, fishing into killing some big, some big, big game animals. Yeah. And you, uh, so you said that's, that's when you guys started chasing those big deer when, yeah. when you got his. So the same thing with filming at what video or what point in filming did you guys be like, well, we're pretty good at this. Like, was there a point, did you guys have, like, that coming to Jesus moment? Like, we're Still actually really good it. at this. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. No, Zach's always been talented with the camera. I mean, obviously, as we get nicer gear and stuff like that, I mean, definitely makes it a lot easier on me. But, I mean, he's so incredibly gifted when it comes to, mm-hmm. he's like, just trust trust the shot. And then he ends up showing it to me. I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, and that really is, I mean, like, I studied film, like, as a passion. I I would literally watch a movie. It's, it was like an eight hour YouTube video. And this guy was like, this is the best movie ever. The movie sucked, but like he would explain every scene. Like, this is why it's filmed from this angle. And the lighting is this way. And it, granted, we don't get into all that. Cause it's not like a production. It's mostly just capturing the moment, but like knowing those little tips and tricks. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you got to pull outside of this space. You have, you to. have to, I do it daily. I, I look at the color spaces of different movies like save it private ryan how was that color versus Mm -hmm. the joker movie and i don't use that exactly in hunting but you just take if you stay in one space you're always going to look like that one space you're never going to separate yourselves from Mm -hmm. everyone else so that's pretty cool to hear someone else doing that for sure and again the passion the reason we started filming hunts was mostly because i was into filming but like 
I just wasn't into hunting first. So what I filmed was like, I created movies. We like, were split. You were super into filming and I was super into hunting and we came together. And that, that's a tough merge. Anybody who has ever been a hunter first and then you had a cameraman. Yeah. It's awful. You're I remember like, you getting Quit really stepping on branches. Holy crap. Or <laughs> no, we're not getting the shot. We have three minutes to get to the stand mm-hmm. or uh, just all sorts of stuff. Dragging a deer out three times because we didn't get the shot the first time. <laughs> I'm like, you drag it in. <laughs> those are the, you think it's hard for the, the hunter? Imagine being the camera guy with Jake Busher. It's a little, mm-hmm. a little pressure's on. <laughs> What's nice is we're close enough to where it's like, he doesn't care to say anything. If he says it's going to be a good shot, I'm like, all right, well, yeah. this sucks. But he's not like hesitant, which I'm glad because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the uh, good shots and, editing and stuff like that's all in but at the end of the day it's going to be the time that you invest in it and it's like there's a lot of time i mean it is more than a full-time job to do what we're doing and i have a full-time job we both have full-time jobs and we're both i mean hunting and having a full-time job is a lot it's a lot to juggle but imagine filming it coming home having to release something not even having to but getting to like my peace and quiet time is like 10 30 at night that's when i start you know and then i gotta you know find yeah. a good point to stop video editing and go to bed. But another quick thing that I wanted to touch on is knowing how the story goes in the moment, planning out this shot, knowing this is going to be a sick intro to this video and just having to get that in the moment because I've been in the editing bay so long that I know this is the shot I need to get for this. And, um, you know, I would encourage anybody who's wanting to start a channel or wanting to start something, what's going to set you apart. You can have the best video editing and I, you know, I've watched channels that have beautiful editing, but like it is painful to watch. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can find the beauty in any hunt and anybody who's trying, but like it's the storytelling that's going to set you apart. And if that's, and if you want to do this, just do a little bit of hobby researching and like figure out how to do that better. Yeah. That's what I did. I didn't go to school for any of this. Yeah. I was all self-taught watching eight hour YouTube videos mm-hmm. like you were. And I found a passion for filming other than other than hunting, I was a big hunter. I was still a big yeah. hunter, but filming kind of outweighed that a little bit as I kept learning and going down that road. But yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. I'm like, what like what are some of your like channels in the outdoor space that you guys like look up to? Um, it could be from a hunting standpoint or just a videography standpoint, like really yeah. good content. What do you who do you guys watch? Or I'd say obviously number one is going to be Seek One. Uh, as far as their filming and editing crew is amazing. Obviously, they're really good hunters. They kill a lot of big deer. They blew out of the gate though. Like their first video was like well, nobody an had ultra ever heard cinematic. Of it. Like no one's ever done that approach with hunting before. Nobody's and, ever done the cinematic approach yeah. or the urban. Like that was just people had done it, but it wasn't a thing on YouTube. So it's like you take this huge niche and you're the creator of it, and then and pair it with a hunter who can get it done, and an insane something. film crew. Really I mean, it's just boom. Um, so I'd say that's obviously going to be number one. Uh, Midwest Whitetail obviously has insane production quality. But I think they're everybody's like, like I mean, when you think of production, to. when you think of production quality, I mean, in the outdoor space, but I mean, they have movie cameras out there. Yeah, they like, take like 20 pound cameras to the stand. It's, 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 it's incredible. Bomar's another good one. I know mm-hmm. he's done some insane turkey hunts with, he was talking about, he has to carry out over 200, 200 pounds of gear. He but has it's, to drop it off the day before. But it's, it's. It's just time and it's about your passion. If you are not passionate about it and like it's not fun for you, give it up because you're not going to go anywhere. Because I and mean, it can end up just causing a hate for hunting at that point because it's you either you have you kind of have to pick which one you're more passionate about and they can merge. But mm-hmm. if you're not passionate about both, I mean, it's just going to end up falling apart. Yeah. And just a moment of honesty too. Like it's a lot of pressure. I struggled with that last year, feeling like I had to perform, feeling like I had to give, you know, our sponsors something. You know, like, I mean, our last season, we ended up eating tag soup because we just weren't willing to shoot something smaller than our standards and the bucks that we picked out were not cooperating. So it's like, that's tough. And like feeling that, you know, I, I, you know, another moment of honesty, I had quit my full-time job to hunt and do Creek Kings full-time and I gave my, I gave it my best shot. And, you know, I was expecting a lot more monetary return and we were expecting to be able to do that. But, you know, if we do if we killed our bucks we might be somewhere but you know feeling i guess i'm saying i'm just trying to comment off of what you said about like there's a lot of pressure there feeling like you have to perform and like you might end up hating hate hunting you know there's a balance and it's really hard and i think a lot of people come in and they're like oh they see what sequins doing or they see what all these giant hunting channels are doing and they're like oh, this can be my full-time job 
you go into it. We made that same mistake last year. If you go into it wanting this to be your full-time job, it, you can make it work, but it's a ton of time. I mm-hmm. mean, it's been two and a half years of a lot of grinding. Like you said, we have full-time jobs on top of killing, trying to kill a booner every year. Like that's not an easy task to juggle, but also goes back to like what you were saying about content creation and storytelling. It's like, we don't want to just be another channel out there where it's somebody stands in front of a camera and they kind of tell you what you're doing and it's not fun. We just want to take people along. And so, yeah, I mean, like you said, during season, there wasn't a lot of good that came out of it. So, I I mean, there wasn't a ton of content, but at the end of the day, if there's not good content to put out there, we're not going to just put filler content because one, there's way too much time that goes into you for editing it just to get maybe a couple thousand views. It's like, if it's not something that you're passionate about, it makes it a whole lot harder. It's a job at that point. Which let's, let's be real. I was doing that for two and a half years, making videos, spending 10, 15 hours filming, editing, and then getting like 300 views on it and begging people like, please subscribe. (laughs) We just want to give away this bow. Like, please. Um, It's a slow grind, but it doesn't have to be. It's all about just increasing your chances. And again, just doing a lot of like side research. Another quick channel that comes to mind, super great cinematography, and like I'm really jealous of it, is uh, Newgrounds. Yep. Um, they have really well-edited videos, really high quality. You can tell the person behind the camera knows what they're doing, and uh, I really respect that aspect of it for sure. Yeah, I th- and I think also what what's really good for you guys, a lot of groups and guys who try to start YouTube channels fall into is they all want to be in front of the camera. You guys seem like watching your videos, like, you'll you'll not hunt a day to film him if he's chasing a deer a lot of groups will be like i need to hunt i'm I'm not going to film you're not going to waste your time and that's what you guys i think you guys work so well together not only on the hunting side but on the content side you're willing to go back and do that again so he can get the perfect shot and that's really what's going to separate you guys over time i think and it's already it already has yeah that's a a tough balance too because if any great hunter they don't hunt every single day that they can um, you wait for that perfect opportunity that you think that buck's going to slip up. I know you've talked about that a lot. I mean, if if you don't think that deer's going to be there, you'll go scout. Mm-hmm. You'll go do something different. You're not going to just sit there and sit in the same stand and let the deer pattern you. And so, like, the entire year I was chasing a dead deer, so <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of good opportunities that I thought he was going to show up. Yeah, um, I listened to that podcast, and that was kind of an aha moment for me, thinking, like, I need to change my approach. You know, I used to be, and I'll be honest with you, I have n- I'm not an expert hunter. He's not an expert hunter. I think we might have tips and tricks and everybody has their own story to tell, but, um, you know, I don't, we don't want to give off the fact that we know everything. And that's probably why we don't make a ton of videos about tips and tricks because there's, <laughs> that's pretty limited. We're, we're, we're baby hunters. We've, I've only been hunting really seriously for like a couple years and just shooting the first dink that walks by for the last five years before that. Like it took me two years hunting by myself to figure out, oh, wind is a big deal. Like, I can't be upwind of where I think this deer is going to be. I guess at the end of the day, we want to do it in a storytelling way, but we want to just kind of share our learning process as well, because we don't know everything. And also touching on like the whole filming thing, we're both very realistic. It's, we talk about everything. I mean, all we talk about is deer. So it's, he's like, Hey, I really think that this deer is going to show up tomorrow. I'm like, all right, I'll be there. Yeah. And it's vice versa. If I'm, I think this deer is going to be there. He's there to film. And there's just a lot. I mean, going back to his, uh, Eight point that he killed was 160 inches. Um, Self-filming is tough. I've (laughs) done it. You've done it. I mean, he's way better at filming and he still missed the shot. So, I mean, there's just so much that happens. I mean, during rut, deer are just running rampant. I mean, there's only so much you can do to get a great shot on the deer and then also get it. I mean, you end up shooting the deer twice, once with the camera, once with the bow. So, I mean, there's not very many booners that'll give you the opportunity to shoot them twice. Also, most people don't know this. We're cousins. Our moms are identical twins, so we grew up together. That's kind of why we have this relationship. It's not, you're not just a friend. relationship, dude. It's just kind of weird. Unfortunately, (laughs) you're family, so I have to stick with you. I can't can't take you off. D-Rock, you got anything else, man? No, I'm good, man. I appreciate you guys coming on and being able to talk to you about this content stuff. Because, like I said, I've been watching you guys before we even got to talk, so I'm happy to grow this relationship together. Awesome. He was our stalker. He was sending us flowers to the house. Yeah, it was. That was me. I'd love it. Flowers in Copenhagen. (laughs) Hey, I'll take both. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, hey guys, we are at the about hour 11 mark. So I think that this has been a great show. We've covered a bunch of stuff. I think there's going to be a bunch of light bulbs here for people. So I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and follow along with your season? Uh, YouTube channels, Creek Kings Outdoors. Instagram's Creek, just Creek Kings. It's a big yellow crown. And then on Instagram, it is Creek Kings as well. 
Um, I don't even worry about the other socials. We don't even really use Facebook, those. same thing. Face, yeah, Facebook, same thing. If you want to get a hold of us um, on any one of our YouTube videos, if you click in the description, there's uh, about three ways to get a hold of us. We also have a Discord. If you guys know what Discord is, it's essentially a place where we can talk with everybody. Once season, yeah, once season starts ramping up, we're definitely more active. We hold live chats with everybody in there. Um, we haven't been doing that a lot in the off season, but once season starts to ramp up, we do like little video chats, and it's almost like a non-recorded podcast for people. People can present questions and also just help each other out. There's it's a about ton of fun. 250 there's a, people in there. there. It's grown a good bit. There's a yeah. few hundred people in there, and it's just a good community of a lot of people that are passionate about uh, whitetails. And we get people all the way from Wyoming, Colorado, Michigan, yeah. West Virginia, Tennessee. I mean, everybody all over the country. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool to see yeah, everybody kind of come together. I've met some good some some of my good buddies who I've met there. So um, definitely check check it out and. The Discord link is in any description of any of our YouTube videos. So that is awesome. Well, thank you guys once again for coming out to the studio yeah. and hopping on with this uh, with this podcast. It's been great. It was a blast. Yep. Yeah. Good luck this fall. Thank you, you guys as well. Yep. Yeah, you as well. All right, everybody. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five star rating and written review. See you next time.